Consider the reality that these fishermen were not seeking Jesus. They were going about their business and they were doing so, as fishermen do, very much at the lower end of the social spectrum. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part three of Jesus Begins His Ministry from Pastor Paul Twiss. Pastor's text for this six-part series is the New Testament Gospel of Matthew, chapter four. Pastor Paul joins us today on mic to help us with this term, effectual call. So, Pastor Paul, your message today speaks about how our Lord calls people to himself. That's right, Matt. My example is Matthew's description of the calling of two fishermen, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. From the text, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus saw these two brothers casting their nets, and he invited them to become fishers of men. Matthew tells us that the brothers immediately followed Jesus, leaving their nets behind. Theologians have described this as the effectual call. It is irresistible. There's no mention of the brothers seeking Jesus first. To this day, we hear our Christian brothers and sisters testifying of their effectual call, though maybe they don't use that same terminology. Thanks, Pastor Paul. Here now, part three of Jesus Begins His Ministry. The song we just sang gives to us in lyrical form the truth that Theologians will often refer to as the effectual call, by which they mean Jesus's call on a man's life, whereby he gives a command to follow him, and we can't resist, we can't deny, we can't disobey, we are bound to respond. When Jesus calls a man unto salvation, we are saved. That's the truth of the effectual call. It's a wonderful truth. It's written about not just in song, but in the Bible. We read of it in the epistles. When the apostles wrote their letters to the churches, they made reference to such works in salvation. And we read about it in narrative. This morning in Matthew's gospel, we see this brief interaction at the very early stages of Jesus's earthly ministry, where he goes to these fishermen, he commands them to follow him, they drop everything, and they go. It's a brief narrative, and because of the nature of narrative, we perhaps don't get as many details as we would like. Elsewhere in the Bible, we could study the effectual call with more details given in the text, we could understand it within the broader economy of salvation. The effectual call is the very first initiating act on God's part towards us that regenerates, that prompts repentance from sin and faith in Christ. 
that then leads to justification and sanctification and eventually to glorification. All of those wonderful truths are given to us throughout the Bible. Here, in just a very brief style, in narrative form, we see an interaction which seems to point us towards that wonderful reality of the effectual call. Now, as we think about this truth this morning, it is helpful to compartmentalize these theological realities. You can pick up a number of books that do so, that systematize our doctrine, and they are of great value to us because they teach us. They teach us what we know, and they they break down for us the pertinent truths of our faith. At the same time, I am always burdened to keep these truths as we find them in Scripture within their context. It is so important not only to train ourselves in the doctrines of the faith, the systematization of truth, but also as we see these truths in Scripture to hold them within their proper context. The reason being is you look at theological truth in its context, often wonderful, glorious realities will emerge by virtue of seeing the bigger picture. The immediate context in this case is one wherein Jesus had just made an announcement concerning the coming of the kingdom. You'll remember last week, we finished our text with Jesus' sermon, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now that's an enormous announcement from Jesus, especially if you've been tracking with Matthew's argument so far. Matthew, from verse 1 of chapter 1, has been presenting Jesus as not only the king the long-awaited-for Messiah, but also as God. Matthew has not been shy to show us that this long-awaited-for Messiah, this king, is at the same time God in the flesh. So if you've been following Matthew's argument and you get to chapter 4, verse 17, and you hear from this God-man, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the first time you're reading this. Or perhaps you were there on that very day. You could be forgiven for anticipating that something tremendous was about to take place. Something significant was about to happen off of the back of this declaration. The king, the God-man, just stated the kingdom is here. It's at hand. It's close by. Does that mean that this man is about to establish his throne? Does it mean that this man is about to overthrow the Roman government? Is he about to set up a fortress? Are we about to see this mass conversion to following Christ and the establishment of his kingdom? With all of that in view, what we actually see, the very next thing given to us is that Jesus walks beside a lake. And he approaches some fishermen, and he says, follow me. And that's it. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he calls two 
lowly fisherman. And that's it. And so you see, it's so important to keep our theological truths, our doctrines within their proper context because glorious realities will emerge as we study the bigger picture. And this morning, I want to consider the truth of the effectual call here given to us as Jesus beckoning men to follow him. I want to consider that theological reality but as it relates specifically to the coming of God's kingdom. As we keep chapter 4, verse 17 in view and consider Jesus' command to follow him, we will start to learn certain realities concerning him, his kingdom, and his kingdom citizens. I've made four observations concerning Jesus' call what it means for him to issue this call as it relates to himself as the king and us as his kingdom citizens. The first one, very simply, is that the king's call is gracious. The king's call is gracious, and that then implies, in turn, that his people are grateful. The king's call is gracious, his people are grateful. Consider the reality that these fishermen were not seeking Jesus. They were going about their business and they were doing so, as fishermen do, very much at the lower end of the social spectrum. Jesus walks by the lake, fully man and fully God. What that means is when Jesus sets his eyes on them, He knows everything there is to know about them. Jesus is not in ignorance in any way. At the moment when he calls them, Jesus knows fully who these men are. He knows that they're fishermen. He knows that no one is following them. He knows that they don't have a crowd of supporters pleading for their attention. He knows that these fishermen were uneducated men. Jesus knew who he was getting. More than that, the more important theological reality is that Jesus perceives all that is in their hearts. When Jesus calls Simon and Andrew, he knows fully their sin. He knows entirely the depravity of their hearts. He knows everything that these fishermen have ever done, have ever thought, have ever said. Jesus as the God-man, knows completely all that is in their hearts set against his heavenly Father. Consider the fact that Jesus, fully man, fully God, setting his eyes upon these men, knows fully every way in which these men will fail him. He is not ignorant as to how these men will Go on to fail him. When the disciples fall asleep in the garden of Gethsemane, when the hour is needed for them to be alert and pray, Jesus is not surprised. When Peter denies Christ three times in the very hour when it is most important for him to swear his allegiance to him, Jesus is not 
surprised. He knows fully looking at them every single way in which they will go on to fail him. And with all of that knowledge, Jesus says, follow me. So you see, how is it that we reconcile this tension? We are driven to the only possible answer being that Jesus' call is a grace-fueled call. It is a grace-filled call. It is a gracious call. Jesus knows their sin, and in full knowledge of their failings, he beckons them unto kingdom citizenship. It is a grace-fueled call, and it is no different in your life. If you're a Christian here this morning, the reality of your salvation is that in some way, at some moment in time, you receive the effectual call. You didn't receive it by way of an audible voice from heaven. You didn't receive it as these men did with a face-to-face interaction with Christ. You received it perhaps through the preaching of God's word. Maybe God was pleased to use the preaching of God's word as the effectual call to you. Or maybe you received that call through the evangelistic witness of a friend. It may have been that you received that call simply through the reading of God's word. However God decided that you would receive it, the reality is, by virtue of the fact that you're a Christian, you also are the recipient of the effectual call. And just as it was with the disciples, the call in your life was a gracious call. God knew all that you had done to offend him, past, present, and future. He knew your sin entirely. He knew the inclinations of your heart against him better than you yourself know them. And yet he called you unto salvation. It is a gracious call. And as I say that, I recognize that I am making a a statement pertaining to a debate that has lasted as long as the history of the church a debate which questions and interrogates the nature of God's grace in the effectual call. The debate that is as old as the church itself is one that sometimes suggests that God's grace works with our response. God's grace comes alongside our response and the two work together to bring us into the kingdom Others would suggest that God's grace sits over all of humanity, making possible for some the response. Others would say that God's grace sees the eventual outworking of a man's heart. And so on that future knowledge gives the call to salvation, none of which are biblically defendable. None of those views can be defended from the Bible. The true nature of God's grace is that it is the sole actor in the effectual call. There is nothing else working with God's grace at that moment. God's grace is the only actor in the effectual call. Though we don't see all the details here in Matthew's narrative, we are explained them by Scripture elsewhere, not least from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. 
When Paul writes those words to the Ephesians, he's not employing some kind of metaphor that means you are actually a little bit alive. He doesn't use the word dead to speak of some kind of life. He says you are dead so as that we would understand that we were dead. We had no life in us. Therefore, it was impossible for us to contribute or work with God's grace at the moment of salvation. In John's gospel, we get perhaps an even more vivid portrayal of this truth when Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb. A man who is physically dead, though also spiritually dead. He can't respond. And wonderfully, Jesus stands there and says, Lazarus, come out. That's the effectual call. There is God's grace at work in salvation to make sinners come to life. And it is exactly the way in which God saved you. It's so important to refresh our hearts to this truth every single week because we are so prone to forget it. I was reminded this morning of a reality just yesterday. It wasn't that far in the past. We as a family had entered into a race, a fun run over in Agora, and my race, I mean, this is one of those events that as a family, we, it's far off in the distance on the calendar and it looks like a good idea. <laughs> so we all signed up heartily about six months ago and then the day of the race comes and now nobody thinks it's a good idea. <laughs> and I was particularly begrudging of it because my race started earlier than anyone else's. So I was up late on Friday night working on this text, got to bed later than I wanted, and then I had an early meeting on Zoom prior to the race. So I'm up very early for this meeting, and then the second the meeting ends, I'm speeding away in the car to get to that start line. I'll be honest, before I had even started the race, I was feeling quite proud of myself. (laughs) I was proud at how well I'd done, to get to the start line. (laughs) And so I run the race, and then I was thinking on this text as I'm running and praying, God, help me to preach the reality of your grace tomorrow. And of course, what often happens is that we run the Christian race, 5, 10, 15, 20 years in, and we start to forget our lifelessness prior to our salvation. And we can very easily start to believe that we did really well to get to the start line. We can very easily, based upon the fruit that God is producing in our lives 20 years into the Christian life, begin to believe that God made a wise choice when he called me. It makes all the sense in the world that God chose me because look how I've turned out. Forgetting the reality that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were abhorrent in the sight of God. You did nothing to honor him. And the only reason that you are a Christian today is because the effectual call is one that is a gracious call. And the problem with forgetting the reality of his grace in your salvation is that you can lose your gratitude 
for the reality of sins forgiven and righteousness bestowed. The outworking of God's gracious call in your life is one of the utmost gratitude. A disposition which is not grateful is invariably one way or another a heart that has lost sight of the grace of salvation. The king's call is a gracious call. Number two, the king's call is a specific call. It is a specific call which leads to an assured people. There is a difference between what we call the effectual call, what we see here in this text, and what we would call the general call. These are different categories, again, that you can find in all manner of theologies. The effectual call and the general call, there is a difference between the two. The general call is a call that I would make on a Sunday morning. I would appeal to anyone here who has not put their faith in Christ savingly, repent of your sins, turn away from that which dishonors God, cast yourself upon Jesus, find in him a sufficient Savior, and your sins will be forgiven. That's a general appeal from me, a mere man, to you, mere people, and there's an option there. There are many that will hear that and walk away from it. In God's grace, he may render my general call an effectual call to some, such that there will be some that respond. But for my part, all I've done is issue this general call. In the Lord's providence, in Matthew's writing, we have, I think, an example of a general call in the preceding text. In verse 17, when Jesus preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, still fully man and fully God, he is issuing there what seems to be a general call. He's appealing to the crowds. And as you know, many will walk away from that. And then in verse 19, the call shifts to the effectual call. So there are differences between the two calls. One of the differences is that of specificity. The general call goes out to everyone, and it can be resisted, it can be ignored. The effectual call is a laser-focused beam to individual by individual, and it cannot be resisted. The effectual call is a specific one. It goes to the individual. God gets into your heart with the truth of the gospel and you cannot say no. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. Matthew, a disciple called from his tax booth by Jesus, tells us how he responded to Jesus' call. Quote, he rose and followed him. There's also no mention anywhere in scripture of any of the disciples losing their zeal for Jesus, except Judas Iscariot, even when the going got tough. Despite Jesus' eventual crucifixion, we see these men staying together and then fulfilling the great commission commanded by the resurrected Christ in chapter 28. Today, we don't hear Jesus calling out to us in person. This call may come through reading scripture or listening to a gospel sermon. 
Have you received an effectual call to repent and follow Jesus? Tell us about it. Go to our website, timelesstruthtoday.org, timelesstruthtoday.org. Select Contact Us and let us know your story and if we can help you in your faith journey. timelesstruthtoday.org and select Contact Us. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twiss, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If you're in the area this weekend and you don't have a local church, come worship with us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. The church is located at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Come Monday, we'll be jumping into part four of our series, Jesus Begins His Ministry, and we'll study more on Jesus giving follow me invitations. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.